welcome to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. This week, Pastor Ben Pitney wraps up the Great Mystery Series of Colossians chapter 4, verses 7 through 18. At Vail Christian Church, we believe in training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. truly glad to see you. Um, I was on break for a couple of Sundays, and it was really good to be on break. I, but I miss you, and I miss church, just not while I'm on break. <laughs> so it was really good. Like I said before, I believe with all my heart that um, when we say, you know, when things get back to normal, I think that's really inaccurate, and I think we need to stop saying it. Because um, I think things have changed and we're not going back. And the world that we live in is really different. And so it's going to require us to um, adjust as a church and as Christ followers. Our mission and our mandate is the same, but we're, gonna, we're, we're going to need to practice some different things. And I think it has done some good things for us. I think it's forced us to rethink some things and sort of shake us up a little bit as a church. And as the world continues to be in some upheaval, those that um, do not know Jesus, I I, I think, are going to need a clear picture of who he is more than ever. And uh, those that are confused and um, have a lot of questions, they need true north, all right? And the church and Christ followers, I think, have a really great compass and a good mission, and our mandate is really clear. And we're going to talk about that today as we wrap up this letter to the church in Colossae, the Colossians. And so I'd like you to turn in your Bible to chapter 4 as we conclude this uh, journey today together. It's, I think it's an exciting one. I think there's relevant truth that we're going to draw out of the text that directly applies to us. So uh, as we spend time in this letter, just let me point out just a few things just to remind us in way of review that this overarching theme that um, we call the, that we've titled the great mystery, this is Paul, these are Paul's words. He said clearly that this mystery has been um, hidden, this truth has been hidden throughout the ages, but now it's been revealed to us. It is Christ in you. He has several themes that um, he injects into his letters by way of encouragement and instruction, admonishing uh, the church, teaching, training, and equipping the church. One of his themes is that he wants every Christ follower to become fully mature in Christ. Every believer in Jesus to become fully mature. And the reason why is because there's some dangerous things out there, and so if you are not grounded in the truth and you don't fully understand the first principles of the faith, you can be distracted. You can get off track really quickly. So he addresses those issues throughout this letter. His aim was all towards, uh, like our message was last week, his aim all along is that we have a mission and a mandate and it's to be fleshed out in the community that we live amongst people that are far from God. How relevant is that message right now that in our world of all this upheaval, people are searching for answers. People don't know exactly what to believe, 
what's true and what's not true. Christ followers and the church have a clear message that's laid out in the gospel right here that we're to explain to and present to people in the world that we live in, in the community that we live in. We're to explain who Jesus is. Present the gospel, the truth, the good news. People really need that, and we need to be reminded of it periodically as well. Is that not right? So can you imagine then a church and churches, the universal church, fully mature in Christ, revealing this great mystery of Jesus and fleshing it out our lives. This is where Jesus resides now and lives and reigns and rules, presenting that truth to the world instead of a lot of the messages that are out there that the government can solve your problems and your issues and more of it and all that kind of stuff. And we know that that's not true, that it's the gospel that changes and transforms everything. I don't think that things are going to get necessarily better. I don't think that things are, 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 are completely awful. But there's a lot of confusion, isn't there? So we have a mission and we have a purpose. And I know that that gives me a lot of confidence when I'm reminded of my purpose and my mission and my job. And that's what we'll talk about today in these few verses. Can we read them together first? Colossians chapter 4, starting in verse 7, into the end of the chapter. Such good stuff. It's Paul's greetings. I know it sounds weird, but he greets everybody at the end of his letter. And he encourages everybody. Listen to what he says. Verse 7 in Colossians chapter 4. Tychicus, a dear brother, faithful minister and fellow slave in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I send him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we're doing and that he may encourage your hearts. I send him with Onesimus, the faithful and dear brother who is one of you. They will tell you about everything here. Archicus, my fellow prisoner, sends you greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. In terms of Jewish converts, these are the only fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And they've been a comfort to me, Epaphras, who is one of you and a slave of Christ. He greets you. He's always struggling in prayer on your behalf so that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I can testify that he worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Heropolis. Our dear friend Luke, the physician, and Demas greet you. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters who are in Laodicea and to Nympha and the church that meets in her house. And after you have read this letter, have it read to the church of Laodicea. In turn, read the letter from Laodicea as well. And tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you received in the Lord. I would underline that right there. That may be the most important thing that he writes. I, Paul, write this greeting by my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Grace be with you. 
No, I, I just want to remind you that in the middle of all the things that are going on in our world, social media is a really great tool. It's really important. I think it's necessary. I, but I think that we need to use it wisely. I think it needs to be tempered and saturated with grace. Whatever you post, whatever you say, whatever you put out there, I think you need to be careful about stirring it up. We're smart people. We know how to stir it up. And this is an election year, and boy, is it, it's, it's so easily stirred up. And I think Christ followers are should be set apart and different. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't take a stand. I think you should be involved in politics. I think you should engage. I do. But I think you should really represent the Lord Jesus and not just be a distraction as well. And I say that because look how he ends it. He says, grace be with you because grace changes everything. And so if what we're doing is not saturated in grace, then don't do it. There's some other things, but as we finish up this book, this letter, it's been magnificent. I feel like I've learned so much. It's actually a fairly big chunk of text that we're looking at today. It mostly consists of greetings from Paul to various people that he's partnered with in ministry, and that's really key. Look at the relationships that he has and all that he says, actually. It's pretty unique. After reading some of these names, what we're going to look at in detail is uh, at some of these stories of the people that Paul mentions. We're going to look at some of those stories because I think they're cool. Because uh, the ultimate goal is to find something about our story by looking at their story. And we all have a story. Maybe it's not completely written yet, but we all have a story. We're going to hear about, in particular... An arrogant religious professional who gave up everything to walk in Christ. An arrogant religious professional. Sounds kind of crazy, doesn't it? We're going to hear about a disgruntled slave who was asked to swallow his pride and return home. We're going to see a prominent doctor, a successful evangelist, and a simple scribe. We're going to look at all these people and what they're trying to do. What they're trying to do is what we've been talking about and what's been revealed in this letter all along. That God wants to take all our everyday things that we do, our lives, and he wants to be in the middle of all of, those, all of that activity and include that in your story. These people were trying to walk in Christ, the Christ that changed their lives. And what I'm hoping that we're going to see as we hear their stories is how Christ is lived out his life is lived out, so to speak, through them. We're going to see that and how he could be lived out through us in our stuff. That's the great mystery of Christ. And I hope that we're going to realize that it's not always pretty as we think it's supposed to be. It's actually not pretty most of the time. <laughs> I hope that we realize as we journey through these people's lives, these people's lives, there is truth in the misunderstandings, forgiveness, facing fears, learning to work with people who let you down. Ultimately, my hope is that we're going to see that even in everyday issues we work through in our own lives, we can find the work of Christ in the everyday issues. 
We can see that our efforts at walking in the mystery of Christ are part of the same story of all these people at the end of the book of Colossians. We're connected. We can see that everyday things of our lives are a part of something way bigger than probably we realize most of the time. That in fact, the story that we're in is actually the story the great story, the grand story. It's about the creator of everything, the redeemer of everything. And our lives lived out in him. So let's just take a look. I want to look at actually Paul's life first. Paul is um, maybe the most unique character that we're going to look at. But I want to start with him because he was once called Saul. Maybe you remember that. He's the guy that wrote this letter. He's the one who sends his greetings to all these people that he's never met. And his story is one of the most remarkable stories, if you think it through. He, began as, he begins his uh, life, or we pick it up, um, where he's a really conservative Jew. He's raised with everything, so everyone had high expectations of him. He has a great education. And actually a really great life. He's got a lot of power and authority. He's all about being the best Jew. That's Paul. So when Christ claimed to be Messiah, he knew that he had to destroy this movement that threatened his religion. So that's what he sets out to do. In Acts chapter 8, you hear about the grisly death of a guy named Stephen. He's one of the first deacons in the first a church in Jerusalem. At the birth of the church, here's this guy, Stephen. He's a man of service and sacrifice. So the Jews, they corner him and they stone him to death. The community gathered together to see him actually die. Acts chapter 8, verse 1 says, Saul was there giving approval of his death. That's Saul. This is the kind of man that Paul once was. Think about this. But then everything changes for Saul. Christ, the one that we've been seeing through this book of Colossians, appears to Saul. And he tells Saul to stop persecuting him in the church and start serving him. The most surprising part of this story is not that Jesus appears to Saul, though, but that Saul makes a complete 180-degree turnaround in his life. He immediately throws away everything that he has. He gives up everything that he has. He threw away his power. He threw away his respect. He threw away his friends and his family, actually. It's possible that Paul's wife left him when he became a Christ follower. Wouldn't that be crazy if we actually knew that the guy that writes 60% of the New Testament, his wife abandons him or leaves him, maybe divorces him? (laughs) Can you imagine? He threw away everything that made him who he was, and he started walking in Christ. He goes to Damascus and he tries. Um, he he tried to preach about Jesus, but it doesn't work because he completely messed it up. Absolutely, does a face plant when he starts preaching Jesus at first. 
He's humiliated and everybody wants to kill him. His followers had to sneak him out of the city in a basket just to save his life. Paul was not a good preacher at the beginning. He was terrible. So the church sent him back to where he had come from so he could learn how to be a Christ follower. He sent back to Tarsus for roughly, I don't know, between five, eight years, something like that. What happened as soon as Paul was out of the picture? You know what's crazy when you read through the text and the journey as the church is birthed? The church has enormous success when Paul leaves. <laughs> I love how Acts chapter 9 describes it. Look at Acts chapter 9, verses 30 and 31. It's pretty amazing. Listen to this. When the brothers found out about this, They brought him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria experienced peace and thus was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and in the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, the church increased in numbers. (laughs) Man, that stings. Ouch. As soon as they get rid of Paul, the church enjoyed a time of peace and it grows. Without Paul around, things went really great. I'll be perfectly transparent. There are are mornings on Sunday, Sunday mornings, when I come late, later than maybe you might think, on purpose. I just kind of show up at the last minute. I do that because I stress people out. And things go better when I'm not here, so to speak. Somet- not all the time, but sometimes it's just better if there's no Ben. I get that. Look at this, though. God's not done with Paul. After that preparation in Tarsus, he goes on to be the apostle of apostles. Apostle, I mean, he's the, he's the guy, Right? Between all of his trips, he travels close to 9,000 miles by foot and some by boat. And those aren't always great experiences, right? He does all this in order to share the gospel, to present the gospel, to explain Jesus. He writes, like I said, 60% of the New Testament. After an impressive, it's impressive, failure, Paul went on to some of the most impressive accomplishments. Think about Paul's story and whether there are any parallels with your own story. Think about this for a minute. What have you given up to walk in Christ? It's a great question, isn't it? Have you had to deal with shame for the way you used to live or for sin that that used to dominate you? Have you tried to do something and completely messed it up? Do things sometimes work better when you're not involved? I'm not saying that's a good thing, but, you know. Hmm. What persecution have you suffered? I mean, if people don't have to deal with your Christianity, so to speak, then maybe you're doing it wrong. (laughs) See, It is possible God still has plans for you. 
Listen to the way Paul sounds in these verses. Did you catch it? Listen to all the relationships and the encouragement and how he talks about these people and how they feel about him. These are words of a passionate friend to his companions. There's deep connection here. He sends greetings to people that had, came, uh, that had come to love him and love the Lord. He talked about his companions with affection and admiration as really valuable people in his life. He's a part of a family now, a family of people who walk in Jesus, who walk in Christ. How have people ministered to you? What adventures have you had along the way? For Paul, walking in Christ means giving up everything, failing at miserably at lots of stuff, being thrown in prison, growing into a giant of faith. Think about some of the other people that Paul mentions here just for a minute. Can you look at this guy named Tychicus? I really like this guy. Paul starts out by talking about him uh, at the beginning. And listen, he's the scribe that was writing down Paul's words on parchment paper. That's who he is. He's a scribe. He kind of takes dictation. He's the guy who was sent, um, you know, a thousand miles to carry this letter to the believers in Colossae. He's who Paul sends. Paul called him a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow slave. Apparently, one of his great skills is that he has awesome penmanship. We don't know a lot about this guy, but we know from Acts that he accompanied Paul in at least one of his journeys. We know that Paul sent him to various cities on his behalf. We know that he's a scribe for, the, uh, for Colossians, this book, and probably other letters. I mean, once you got a guy like this writing stuff down, you don't want to lose him. Tychicus is part of the story. Not many people remember his name, but he plays it a really important role. He carries letters. He sent a thousand miles to deliver messages, and the Apostle Paul counted him as a value fellow worker. For Tychicus, walking in Christ meant being a faithful scribe and a messenger. That's him. Maybe your story's coming alongside someone like Tychicus came alongside Paul. Lots of people want to be the Apostle, lots of people want to write the letters. Not many people want to deliver the letters. But some of us have great penmanship. And that's what we offer to God as we walk in Christ. Great penmanship actually is pretty hard to come by. It actually really is. I would say there is nobody on the Vail Christian Church staff who has better penmanship actually than me, and I'm terrible. <laughs> Most of our team cannot write anything without typing it. It's almost in, in it, unintelligible. It's that bad. I know they're gifted in other ways. That is for sure. But these people are really important, people with great penmanship. You know what I'm saying? What about this guy Onesimus? Oh, he's one of my most favorite characters. I love Onesimus. 
See, Paul talks about Onesimus quite a bit here. He's an interesting guy, really interesting. Paul is sending Onesimus along with Tychicus. He sends them together. You don't find out much about him from this letter, but we have an entire letter in the New Testament devoted to Onesimus and his situation. Do you know the guy? Maybe you've read the letter. Paul writes another letter, probably at the same time he wrote the Colossians, that was to be delivered along with this letter, the letter to Philemon. It had specific instructions about this guy, Onesimus. Onesimus was Philemon's slave. Philemon was probably a wealthy guy who had a big house and a church probably met there, right? And Philemon lived in the city of Colossae, but Onesimus had run away from his master, Philemon. And it's likely that he stole a bunch of money from Philemon and he went to Rome where he could live anonymously in a big city. No doubt he wanted to start a new life to begin new. He wanted to just start over. But instead, he ends up in a Roman jail. Guess who he runs into? He meets a really passionate guy named Paul. And in the course of that relationship, not only do they become friends, but they become, he, Onesimus becomes a follower of Jesus. Can't get away from Paul. In fact, he becomes a really devout follower of Christ. Paul had great affection from him. So by the time uh, all this concludes in Rome, in jail, in prison, right? Paul convinces him that the right thing to do is to go back to his former master and make things right. So Paul writes a letter to Philemon and he asks him to receive Onesimus in forgiveness. And I want you to just think about this. This is a letter that's to be read in front of the whole church. <laughs> All the letters are supposed to be read. Everybody would know. This is kind of a big deal. It'd be like saying, uh, um, Bob, I want you in front of everybody, I want you to forgive Jack. I don't know. And, you know, Jack did something terrible to you. And everybody would be like, oh my gosh. The whole letter is about this. Yep. Here's what happened. Everybody knew. Everybody knew. Come on. I don't know what you did, Jack, but see how how crazy how crazy is this? Think of this. Hey, get, check it out. Look at look at Philemon 15 and 16. This 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 one book, this one chapter, it only is one chapter. Look at it, it says, for perhaps it was for this reason that he was separated from you for a little while so that you would have him back eternally. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a dear brother. He's especially so to me and even more so to you now, both humanly speaking and in the Lord. See, so Paul asked Philemon to take back someone who'd probably stolen money from him, abandoned him, kind of betrayed him. He wanted him to forgive Onesimus, but more than that, to receive him as a brother in love. Sometimes, you know, as we walk in Christ, we hurt people. Have you noticed that? I've hurt people, and, and I don't even know it sometimes. And we have to ask for forgiveness. Can you imagine Onesimus returning with a letter from Paul asking for Philemon's forgiveness, and you got about a thousand miles to think about it. Can you imagine the courage it took for him to go that thousand miles 
he was trying to get away as far as, away as he could from Colossae. For Onesimus, walking in Christ means going home and asking for forgiveness. Has someone ever hurt you? Has someone ever done it actually intentionally? Maybe. Has someone ever stolen from you or taken what you worked hard for to acquire? Has someone ever abandoned you? Rejected you? Is it easy to forgive those kinds of offenses? No. No, are you crazy? No, it's not. Last year, I had a a neighbor bring me a shovel that he borrowed like two years ago. And when he brought it back to me, I was happy to get my shovel, but I was sort of aggravated that he held on to it for two years. And then finally realized when he was sweeping out the garage, oh, this shovel's not mine. Oh, that's Ben's. It was just a shovel and I was kind of fired up. Truth be told, I forgot I gave it to him. Right? It's just a shovel. But what about these things? I mean, I get it, right? So, it's not like Philemon can just say, oh, sure, hey, no big deal, dude. What Onesimus did is an issue. It's a problem. It's not right. It's a big problem. The forgiveness that Paul is asking from Philemon's difficult. It's costly for Philemon. Walking in Christ means costly forgiveness. Have you been asked to offer that kind of forgiveness? Is that a part of your story? What wrongs have you suffered at the hands of others who follow Jesus? I'm sure you've been hurt. People are hurt all the time in church. All the time. We have all been hurt. Can you forgive? What happens when you do forgive? You know, I believe that we are most like God when we forgive. Forgiveness is a powerful thing. Who knows what can happen when real forgiveness takes place, when it's asked for and when it's received. You should go on to read about Onesimus. He's a pretty amazing guy. He takes on a role that's like a bishop later on. You know, Mark, we, we've journeyed through the gospel of Mark, John Mark. In verse 10, you find this guy, the disciple who authored this gospel. He's got an interesting story as well. He travels with Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey, right? He's just a teenager. They went on a dangerous boat ride. They ended up in Perga, right? And according to Acts chapter 13, when they get there, John Mark says, I've had enough, I'm out. And he goes home. I don't know if he's being a big baby. I don't know if he's being an immature teenager. I don't know what it is, but he starts complaining, this is rough stuff. I don't want any part of it anymore. I'm done. He kind of abandons Paul and Barnabas, you know, and the journey's not done. The adventure's not over. Paul's not very good with it. So when Paul and Barnabas get ready to embark on the second journey, Barnabas wants to give him another chance. Everyone deserves a second chance, right? Everybody, wouldn't you say that? Paul says, no. This guy burnt me. No. I've, I've been there. I've been there. So they can't come to an agreement, Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas gives up. 
says, Mom, taking him, going to go on a different, we're going to do something else. They can't come to agreement, so they go separate ways. So Barnabas takes um, Mark. Paul takes another guy named Silas. Put yourself in Mark's shoes for a minute. Just put yourself there. Have you ever given up on something before? Thrown in the towel? Everybody's done that, and then you want to give it another shot, and you're like, oh, man, you sort of messed it up. People don't want to give you a second chance. Think about being the source of conflict, actually, between the Apostle Paul and Barnabas. Think about that. These guys are really well-known. These guys got a reputation. These guys are smart dudes that you look up to, and they're fussing over you. These are real conflicts. These are hurt feelings, anger, judging other people, right? All of those things. This is what happens in church. This is what happens in our community. This is what happens in the world we live in. This is what happens at work. One person can't get along with another person because some issue in the past. We all know about this. We know hard feelings that accumulate over time, causing you to only see someone in light of the hurt in the past that was brought to you into your life. We know about this type of broken relationships that we see with Paul, Barnabas, and Mark. The dorm parent in um, where I went to college, where I went to university, um, I don't actually know what his, na- his name is. Everybody just called him Pops. And I had a pickup truck that I had spent a lot of tender, loving care on in college. And Pops asked me if he could borrow it to move something. I said, sure, Pops. He took my truck, and he was backing it up to get something. You know how, I don't know why he was doing it, but he had the door open, and he was looking out the door, backing it up. And he just kept backing it up, and he just broke the door off of the hinge off on a tree, just bent the door all the way around to the, you know, the other way. It was a beautiful truck. It was pretty. Seafoam green, Ford F-150. I spent a lot of time caring for that truck. Actually, in college, I bought two wrecked trucks. One, the front end was good, and one, the back end was good. And the others were, you know, it was two demolished trucks. I cut them in half, and I basically welded, welded them together and came up with one good truck. So I had a lot of sweat equity in this truck, and Pops bent the door off. Well, he was so upset when he came back. So, oh, and I don't know what, if you know what you got to do in order to straighten that out, but it, it bent the frame. I don't know. I spent a lot of time and money on it trying to get it fixed. Pops didn't seem to feel like he had to pay for it. <laughs> so it kind of made me bitter. And, you know, when you shut the door, I could never get it to shut right. And you know how you go down the road and you could hear the wind whistling through the gaps. Every time I'd drive home from school, I'd be whistling the whole time, and I was thinking, I will never loan my truck out to anyone again. 
as long as I live. It just got burnt, kind of hurt my feelings. And he did, I'm like a college student, didn't even really offer to help. He thought, uh, insurance will cover it. And I was a college student with not that much insurance that would pay for that. Oh, pops. Ah. What we also know about John Mark and this whole situation is that forgiveness brings some things. Because here in Colossae, think of, I want you to think about this a minute. Paul sent greetings from Mark. Where's he in? Paul's in prison. Guess who's there with him? Caring about him. John Mark. Apparently Mark's with him. Right there, they reconcile. And in the book of Timothy, 2 Timothy, at the end of his life, Paul's at the end of his life. He's going to turn it all over to his protege, uh, Timothy, right? Paul, who does he ask for at the end of his life? He says, would you get Mark to come to me so he can minister to me? (laughs) This is the guy Paul didn't want nothing to do with earlier. Nothing. He's mad at this guy. He became that important to him. Walking in Christ meant for Mark, giving up, being refused a second chance, and eventually being restored. It's an amazing story, the story between Paul and John Mark. Who does Paul want there with him at the end of his life? Wow. These are hard things, aren't they? Hard things. What I'm trying to get us to notice is all these stories are hard things. They're personal conflicts. Put those things up, Clarissa. Failures. Humiliations. Broken relationships. These are hard things. But there's also what? Forgiveness. Restoration. Renewal. Empowerment. And a unity between brothers and sisters joined together as they walk in Christ. You see all that right here? Are you getting the picture of how walking in Christ plays out for different people? Others, Paul mentions, uh, there, there's a boatload of other people in here. Check it out. He talks about this person, Epaphras. He's the guy that founded the church at Colossae, not Paul. Paul's just following up. Paul sends him out there and he leads these people to Jesus. When you go back to Colossians chapter 1, verse 7, he introduces these people to Christ. And now he's with Paul as Paul writes this letter to help them stay on track. For Epaphras, walking in Christ meant watching your story come full circle and carrying out this mission that Paul had. Epaphras is a cool guy. What about Luke? Have you thought this about Luke? Luke's a doctor. But in the first century, he refers to him in this way being a doctor, because it's such a rare thing in those days. It's a position of extremely high status. So it's remarkable that Luke was a doctor and was a part of this actual community of people, this church. This is a community that had had to deal with people from every every kind of different socioeconomic class. And actually, Luke is in a different class. That's, that's what walking in Christ does. It brings different people together. For Luke, walking in Christ meant to hanging out with people you probably wouldn't otherwise spend time with. He also talks about a guy named Demas. Did you see that? 
He's important because he reminded us that there's not always a happy ending. Actually, when you go to Philemon, Philemon, verse 24, Paul calls Demas his fellow worker. But later on, when you read the letter, uh, um, Timothy, 2 Timothy, chapter 4, verse 10, Paul says that Demas, he says, he deserted me since he loved this present age. Our stories will be surprising sometimes. Some who once deserted us return. Others who once were faithful may desert us in the future. You never know where walking in Christ takes you. And then there's Archippus. And Archippus, I think, is who we should conclude with because I think we need to be like Archippus, Archippus maybe the, the most. The final person here I want us to look at. At the end of the letter, in the second to the last verse, he's told by Paul, he says, see to it that you complete the ministry or the work or the task you received in the Lord. See to it you complete it. In front of the whole church, Paul says this, the last thing. Make sure he knows. You don't know a whole lot about the guy. We know from the book of Philemon, he's a part of Philemon's household and probably the church there, maybe his son. We don't know. So we don't know what work it was that Archippus received from the Lord. He may have received back Onesimus, the runaway slave. He may have had a formal role as a deacon or a preacher, church planter. We don't know for sure what his work was. We only know Paul's instruction to him is that he's supposed to be faithful to complete it. And so as we wrap this all together, as we tie a bow on it, and we see these stories and these different people walking in Christ and where it led them, I want us to take the phrase as our marching orders right here, this phrase. See to it that you complete the ministry you receive from the Lord. See to it, underline that. I want to suggest that these words uh, ring in your ears as we close up this book. I think there's some of the most important words here. And there's two things I want to emphasize about this phrase. The first thing is that uh, we don't know what the ministry or the work or the task that Archippus received from the Lord is. And I think we don't know for a reason. Because it's his work, it's his ministry, it's his task, not ours. Each of us has our own ministry and task and work that, that God gives us. Everybody's got it. This is what walking in Christ results in. It means that you're trying to live your life in the mystery of Christ. And you're fleshing it out. It means that God leads you and he guides you into some roles in this great mystery that he's writing. And maybe you're a scribe because you got awesome penmanship. Maybe you're an, an apostle because you got you're unique and, 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 it, and it takes those kind of guys sometimes. Maybe you're a doctor. Maybe you're a comforter. Maybe you know how to struggle in prayer. You have some work or some ministry from the Lord. It might have to do with children. It might have to do with your job. It might have to do with your friends and your community. It might change in different seasons of your life, but you've got some ministry and some work and a task from the Lord. You don't have to complete my ministry. I know what I'm supposed to do. I know who I am. You don't have to be faithful to whatever God has asked the person next to you to do. 
Walking in Christ means finding out what work God has given you and being faithful to complete it and to do that. And the second thing I think to notice is that walking in Christ requires faithfulness. Wow, the church needs us to be faithful right now. Really. Because we can't do what we're supposed to do outside these walls across the bridge unless it's really healthy right here. Did you notice the progression of all that? Paul starts with the church, and then he talks about your family and your relationships and your household. It's got to go right here, and then it's got to go right in the household in order to get out there where he really wants you, where people really need to know what true north is. Find out what work and ministry God has given you and complete it and be faithful and endure. Forgive people even if they steal your money and they run away. Be willing to reconcile even if they abandon you halfway through an important project. Whatever work and ministry you receive from the Lord, it's not going to be easy. It'll require you to be faithful in the face of difficult circumstances. It's pretty difficult right now, right? We need this encouragement that Paul gives to Archippus. See to it that you complete the ministry you receive in the Lord. So what's this got to do with me? Has it presented itself yet? Colossians is a book that helps us to find out our story in Christ. That's what it does. Colossians is a letter that helps us to find out how great the mystery of God is played out in our church, in our lives, in our homes, in our job, and the community that we live in. When we do that, we take part in a huge story, right? The grand story. You may be asked to give up everything. That's what this has to do with you and me. You may be humiliated. You may fail miserably. You may have to ask for forgiveness or forgive. Both are equally difficult. You may have to relate to a group of people that are completely different from you. Whatever the path God has for you, I can promise you that if you walk in Christ, your story is not going to be meaningless and pointless work with just a few fun weekends thrown in, in, in the midst. Seems like our world just lives for the weekend sometimes. Isn't that crazy? Part of this cosmic work that God does through Christ in the everyday parts of your life is just that's what it is. It's cosmic because it's just the everyday stuff that he wants you to flesh out. The encouragement that we need is the encouragement that Paul gave the Colossians. Stay true, stay focused, keep it all focused on Jesus, walk in him. And here's the orders. See to it that you complete the ministry you receive in the Lord. Doesn't really mince any words, does he? That's why I like Paul. See to it that you do this. Don't goof around. Complete the ministry you receive from the Lord. It's a big deal. It's important. I don't care what it is, even if it's just great penmanship. As you do that, your story becomes a part of the great mystery of Christ. Christ in you. Lord, thank you for these moments where we can draw the truth out of the text and see how it applies to us. It's really important. Help us to live it now, God. The world we live in needs it 
needs us to live out this great mystery, to become fully mature Christ followers. We know what our orders are. We know what our purpose is. We know what the commands are and our mission. That gives us confidence, Lord. Help us to get out there now and explain who Jesus is. And we'll be careful to give you all the glory, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. If you have any questions, would like more information about our church, or would like to see the video cast of this message, please visit our website at www.vailchristian.com.